1965 to 1967. Sit back on a journey of the past. Fasten your seatbelts as you visit the past and adventures in the classic BBC long-running science fiction series of Doctor Who. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Literary License Podcast. Tonight we are doing a threesome, which is the Daleks' master plan. <laughs> the massacre. Okay, cool. And the arc. Right. So the Daleks' master plan was serial five, 12 episodes, 13th of November 1965 to the 29th of January 1966. Mm-hmm. There's only three remaining episodes that are on BBC iPlayer and ITVX, if you wanted to check them out. Yeah. But yeah, this was this was a really good one. There was loads of Daleks, especially the Supreme Dalek with the black and silver <laughs> knobs <laughs> and more Varga plants. There's a merry dance across space. Yes. Peter Butterworth gets a good show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in the future, it shows that we still haven't eradicated the mouse problem. Exactly. Yeah, yes. <laughs> We've got a bit blue. <laughs> so I'm joined tonight with David Grant. Hello. From from Logsville. From East Finchley. Yeah. Yes. Myself, Craig, from East Finchley as well. I'm with Marius from North Finchley. Hello. <laughs> and Ramona from Connecticut. Hartford, Connecticut. Oh. Okay. So what's everyone been up to recently? Any news? <laughs> Uh, I went to a London film fair on Sunday, which was really good. And I met Sean Phillips, Dame Sean Phillips, the original actress from June and Clashman Brightons. Wow. I saw the photos. She was the most elegant lady I've ever met. She was Mm -hmm. genuine, really nice to talk to, and just beautiful lady. Beautiful lady. I, I can't. I, I literally was lost for words, basically, when I met her, and she gave me a hug. <laughs> and I saw the pictures on your Instagram. Yes. <laughs> and also, I'm writing a new book for everybody, and it's something totally different from what I usually write. So watch this space. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's the plot? <laughs> the plot is all about secret and lies. Oh, classic. Say no more. And I saw and Mrs. Flood is going to be at the one of the Comic-Cons. Yes, I so want to see an adoption because I just want to hand her a piece of paper. <laughs> and it's asked, who are you? Yeah, <laughs> sign this on you. Sign this on me. Are you the Rani? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I want to give her a divorce papers. Oh dear, you've been served. <laughs> <laughs> it's a subpoena. And David, your exhibition's finished now. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. It was at the Muscle Hill Club. That's There's right. a new artist who's showing there at the moment. I can't remember their name, but it's an ongoing theme. So if you're by the Muscle Hill Health Club in Fortis mm-hmm. Green, there's a in the foyer. There's a regular art exhibition. The exhibition on that that just month. goes on. Yeah, 
It's like every um, month. Man, and I right? should be showing in March time. Yeah, so that'd be good. I mean, it's uh, photographs, drawings. And you're um, still doing open mic? Still doing the open mic. We're doing this Thursday, if anybody... Where's that? That'll be at the White Lion in East Finchley. And I'll be uh, doing a few... I actually might try a new song. An original composition. Okay. <laughs> so try that one out. Uh, and it'll be in 3-4 time, which is quite an unusual time signature for songs these days, you know. I think of like some classic 3-4 times there. Uh, I guess it was... Um, Nowhere Man, sorry, not Nowhere, I Go to Sleep by Ray Davis and the Kinks, Golden Brown by the Stranglers, but I mean, I can't think of any other sort of like fairly modern day classics in 3-4, you know, mm. yeah, and uh, sort of uh, just been going over some old lyrics, just trying to get some new songs together, you know, actually, I've been trying out something different, William Burroughs used to, and David Bowie used to sort of write down stuff, throw it onto the floor and stuff anything that was random. Mm. and took his attention, he would write a song about it. That's cool, you know. Mm. I normally throw bricks out the window. This seems to uh, incapacitate the passers-by. Hello! And how about yourself, Still getting my apartment uh, set up, messing around with my plants, my Doctor Who collection, and still doing a lot of writing. Great. Cool. <clears throat> hmm. Myself, I went to Harry Potter land. Oh Harry Potter one of oh, was excellent. It looked amazing. It was amazing. Amazing. It was so good. They've even got the, the Green Gox Bank. Yeah. And then the, the dragon comes out and breathes fire and it was just amazing. And there was the train station. I went on the I went on the the um the Harry Potter Express. <laughs> uh, you can go inside Harry Potter's house as well. Oh. And you can see the the the, the 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 one with the film where she inflates into a balloon and flies off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was in there. And, um, the auntie or something. It was just a brilliant, so brilliant cool. experience. And um, yeah, yeah. it was great. I've been reading Childhood's End by Sophie Aldridge. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, my <laughs> God. Is she a good writer? She's amazing. I, I just can't believe it. I was like, wow, she can really put pen to paper. <laughs> but... It was just brilliant, and the cats, the, even the cute cat, called Sorin, and she's, she's got so many nods to, to Doctor Who in it. And I was like, "Yeah, wow. mm-hmm. it's a, I couldn't put it down. It's really, really good." I read it in two days. Wow! Did you just couldn't put it down? Wow. It's yeah, like yeah. I start read uh, Douglas Adams again. Oh, yeah. start the whole. Uh, oh, that's one who I want to read as well. The trilogy in seven parts. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a great writer. You know, he's. Actually went to his grave in uh, Highgate Cemetery. Highgate Cemetery, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a jam jar or, or like a flower vase on his uh, gravestone, and people put pens in, you know, which mm. is lovely. You know, I put a plectrum in from Liverpool. Mm. Can I I'll take this plectrum and my serve you well? Like you know, can I? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that right. brings us to the Daleks master plan. Uh, we will we will roll trailers and we will be right back. This is a synopsis for Doctor Who: The Daleks Master Plan. 
which ran from the 30th of November, 1965, to the 29th of January, 1966. Some six months after the events of the Missions to the Unknown, the TARDIS arrives on the planet Cabell, and the first doctor leads the TARDIS to try to find medical aid for the wounded Stephen, leaving him with the Trojan servant girl, Katrina. Meanwhile, a space agent, Brett Yvonne, is also on the planet trying to find out what happened to Agent Mark Corroy. The two parties cross paths and agree to work together, whereupon they discover that the Daleks have put together a grand alliance with various galactic powers to conquer humanity by use of a time destructor, a weapon with the potential to destroy all life on a planet by accelerating the flow of time. The treacherous guardian of the solar system, Mavic Chen, has provided the weapon's power core, made up of the rare element Terranium. The Doctor infiltrates a meeting of the Daleks' alliance and steals the Terranium core, before he, his companions, and Yan escape by stealing Chen's ship, termed a spar. The Daleks force the spar to crash land on the nearby prison planet of Destrius, only for pursuing Daleks' ship to suffer an even worse crash, allowing the Doctor time to repair the spar and take off again. As soon as they take off, however, they discover that they picked up a convict named Kirkson, who takes Katrina hostage. While they try to talk Kirsten down, Katrina activates the outer airlock door and ejects her and Kirsten into space, where they both die, leaving the shocked and saddened Doctor and Stephen to contemplate whether her actions were deliberate. After the spar returns to Earth, the group makes contact with Jan's old friend, Daxter, who unwittingly reveals that he is working with Chen. Jan kills Daxter, only to then be killed himself by his sister, fellow space agent, Sarah Kingdom. Kingdom unwittingly chases the Doctor and Steven into an experimental teleportation chamber while they are transported to the distant planet of Mira. After the Doctor and Steven persuade her of Chen's treachery, she agrees to work with him and helps them fend off an attack by the planet's savage, invisible natives before the three steal a Dalek ship that has been sent to retrieve them. The Daleks force the ship to return to Kabul, but the Doctor and Steven manage to create a fake Terrium core, which they do the Daleks into accepting before they and Sarah flee in the TARDIS. Into an interlude from the main storyline, Doctor Steven and Sarah land in a police station in Liverpool, and then a film set in silent era Hollywood, leading to many comedic misunderstandings in both locations, before the Doctor breaks the fourth wall to his viewers at home on Merry Christmas. The TARDIS then lands on a volcanic planet and is followed there by the Doctor's old enemy, the meddling monk, who is out for revenge after the Doctor tried to strand him in medieval England by sabotaging his TARDIS. The monk damages the door lock of the Doctor's TARDIS, but the Doctor makes temporary repairs and manages to travel to ancient Egypt. The monk follows him there, as does Chen and the squadron of Daleks, who by now have deduced that the Doctor gave them a fake core. Chen and the Dalek forces the monk into working with them, and he gets the idea of taking Stephen and Sarah captive and using them as hostages. Without the time to create another fake core, the Doctor is forced to hand the real one over to Chen, though he at least manages to steal the directional circuit from the monk's TARDIS. Ensuring that the monk cannot control its destination, and thereby can no longer pursue the Doctor. Using the monk's directional control, which is destroyed in the process, the Doctor is able to pilot the TARDIS back to Cabal, where Stephen and Sarah discover the Daleks have deemed their fellow Alliance leaders, including Chen, surplus the requirements and have imprisoned them. Stephen and Sarah free them so they can ensure their races end their alliances with the Daleks, 
only to then be captured by Chen, who has been driven insane by the Daleks' betrayal and has deluded himself into believing that he is immortal and the leader of the Daleks. He marches Steven and Sarah into the Dalek base and tries to give orders to the Daleks, who react by killing Chen. The Doctor takes advantage of the resulting commotion to steal and activate the Time Destructor itself, threatening to bring it to full power and destroy all life on Kambal if the Daleks do not let him and his companions go. Steven is able to get back to the TARDIS before the Time Destructor reaches full power on its own accord, but the Doctor and Sarah are not, and Sarah is killed and aged into dust. Steven manages to help the Doctor back into the TARDIS, restoring them both to their proper ages. After which the Daleks arrive and after trying and failing to destroy the Time Destructor, become the victims of their own weapon, as it wipes out all life on the planet. Later, once the weapon has burned itself out, the Doctor and Steven emerge from the TARDIS, with Steven distraught at the senseless deaths of Brett, Katrina, and Sarah, and the Doctor remarking of the terrible waste that has taken place. And that was the synopsis for the Daleks' master plan. Now back to the show. Hello and welcome to Literally Licensed Podcast. Tonight we are reviewing the Daleks' master plan, 13th of November 1965 to 29th of January 1966. Mm. So opening thoughts, guys. Well, it's 12 episodes, isn't it? Long, 12 episodes long, this one. And that's got to be the longest one since the longest, yeah. Wikipedia did say that it was the longest to date so far, a Doctor Who episode in a season. And yeah, I mean, for me, I I listened to the actual audio version of it because I got that one from way back. The soundtrack is awesome, by the way, if you ever want to. Download it from Audible or any anywhere. It's brilliant. I mean, you know, it introduced Katerina in as a, although she didn't last very long, unfortunately, which is really for me quite surprising for Doctor Who actually. To yeah, she, she had just a very short trip, and she yeah. had a hard time adjusting to things that she saw in the TARDIS. And getting sucked out of the airlock, basically. <laughs> yeah, she got uh, spaced. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. But do you know what? Listening and en- I actually really enjoyed it. It was so good. <laughs> uh, it was the plot line was brilliant. It was just Daleks, 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 Daleks everywhere. Yeah, I think it was my favorite Hartnell story that I've yeah. seen so far. He really shone in it, didn't he? You know, he was really kind of sort of like theatrical. He was almost Shakespearean. Because this is the first <laughs> team up story where you wouldn't have expected the meddling monk to be working with the Daleks. It was just brilliant. I'm sure he was supposed to be the master. It was a precursor for the master. Precursor for the master, yeah. Even it's called the Daleks' master plan, but they just didn't didn't see it coming and. This was the last black and white story for Terry Nation as well. Mm. And the Daleks had flamethrowers, yeah. which looked so dangerous when I saw them. I thought if one one false move, well, yeah, yeah. Because, they'll take out the studio. Well, yeah, because they're in an enclosed studio. You know, <laughs> I mean, the old uh, fire hazards and all that weren't really in place. where they were burning down the trees and stuff in the jungle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, flipping. And this is the first story where three characters go into the TARDIS and then they actually die as well. Yeah. Um, 
that after a brief stint shows no one safe. No really. one's safe. I mean, introduced um, Gina Marsh also as Sarah Kingdom as well, who later on went to be Morgane in Battlefield. <laughs> and the Witch in Willow. Yeah. yeah. And in Upstairs, Downstairs. <laughs> Going back to the 70s. Like... <laughs> I love the black garlic. He's my favourite yeah, Dalek. He looks I iconic. Love it. Yeah, I've got iconic. the model, the talking radio controlled one of him. Oh, excellent. I just think he's beautiful. I just love the colour. Yeah, I think... Black uh, and silver. What was the original? Was it blue and silver? Like the first Dalek? So... Oh, no, no, it was all in black and white, so you can yeah. really tell, but I think it was blue and silver, I think. And also, Nicholas Courtney is in this, which I forgot about. Oh, yeah. I didn't realise that. Brett Vine. <laughs> Oh, how did I miss that one? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a bit of uh, foreshadowing about the purity of the air. You've mm. got two people that come from a future civilization where they breathe pure air, and the doctor yeah. told them, don't go out until I check the air yet. Yeah. <laughs> and they just go so and do it anyway. Foreshadowing. Yeah. Huh? Do you think it might have been like kind of maybe what? – Sorry, like sort of climate change, you know. It could be like sort of like you know maybe we should clean the air up, you know. Talking heads talked about that. How long did um, Gene Marsh last for in the Dalek's Master Plan, which I can't remember? How many episodes was she? <laughs> I don't know. She should have been. She could have been a great companion. I'm not sure because I only saw the last remaining ones that were on um, iPhone. Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> what are your thoughts of Mavic Chen? Uh, he's playing both sides of the field, man. I like the Galactic Federation. I thought that was an interesting concept. Yeah. It was almost like the Shadow Plot. Pl- pl- yeah, Proclamation. Yeah. They could do, <laughs> you could do so much more with the, with, the, with the Doctor Who universe. And you yeah. could go back and say, from that, you know, some Darling's master plan, big finish. Big finish, you must listen to us, please. Do <laughs> spin-offs. You know, you can do mm. anything in your mind, but, you know, please, you know, get me on your team. I will help you with this. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing what people can do further down the line if they put their minds to it, you know, bring mm. that as well into the new Who universe. Because Mavic Chen, he introduces the Doctor as the one they refer to as the Doctor. Yeah. Mm. Which way, because the the Draconians and the sens- the Sensorites and the Sontarans all lead after this in the same sort of pretext. Mm-hmm. And the Ice Warriors as well. Mm. They sort of adopt that sort of type of habit, referencing him as that. Like one who must be not be named. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Voldemort. <laughs> 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 yeah mm-hmm. i think i think you know like i think we're only starting to realize like how massive how universal how inter multi-dimensional doctor who could become yeah yeah i think you know people are starting to see oh my gosh we've created something here that has no bounds almost like the toilet itself you know yeah it's incredible and now look where it is you know i mean it's like it's covered so many things now like you know it's it's incredible yeah I went, like we talked about before, it was always educational because kids would listen yes. to it, 
you know, kids would watch them playing with the Romans, the Aztecs. You 12, know, twelve weeks would have been a long time in the sixties to well have got through because that's like a that's like a summer. That's like well, three months. Yeah, it's almost like well, two and a half months. Yeah. So they would have had Daleks on the TV for twelve weeks. Yeah, tw- which I that think would have been so amazing <laughs> to go back <laughs> in time. Yeah, you know, and uh, it was the only exciting. Well, it was the only sci-fi apart from Twilight Zone. You know, but I mean, uh, so what was it like at school? What for you to watch? Yeah, well, because we, I mean, did you get the ice cream? Do you remember the ice cream cards with Doctor Who inside? I, I do. The, I with remember the rocket lollies. I actually remember somebody getting the Dalek costume. Because, oh wow! Yeah, and I remember they put the box outside by the bin, you know, and it was like a you know authentic Dalek, and it was a black Dalek. Wow, that's right. I remember. I mean, if I had a camera at the time, would have took a photograph of that, like, you know. Uh, the, go back and tell a burger. Go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there was also a book some friend of mine brought in, and it was all these amazing Daleks. There was ones that were walking through trenches on tripods, you know. Wow. There was flying Daleks that were flattened out. What happened to all them? You know, was mm. that somebody just trying out different things or something? You know? I don't know. That was incredible, you yeah? know. But, yeah, because... I mean, they were trying to sort of like uh, get over the fact that they had to be on them electronic platforms to move, and then suddenly they're flying through the air, you know. This is controversial, but Mavic Chen, I thought they'd blacked him up. Oh, yeah. But they hadn't. He's actually actually wearing blue makeup. Blue? Because it's it's black and white. Right. Um, Oh, he's the first blue man then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the was, second one's the end of the world with those in that episode as well. They were blue too. Blatand. <laughs> it was great. So I've got, Sorry, I've got the ratings for this down. Okay. I've written them down. Look, okay. Right. And look, all the ratings are there. So episode one was 9.1 million. Wow. Episode two, 9.8 million. Episode three, 10.3 million. Uh-huh. Episode four, 9.5 million. Mm. Episode five, 9.9 million. Episode six, 9.1 million. Episode seven, 7.9 million. Episode That's eight, 9.6 million. Episode nine, 9.2 million. Episode 10, 9.5 million. Episode 11, 9.8 million and episode 12, 8.8 million. Right. The uh, 7.8 million was what show was the competition for that episode that might explain the significant drop? It would be something on ITV, I would assume. Probably Corey. Maybe. It was on the Saturday, don't forget, and Corey was oh, Monday maybe. to Friday. Yeah, but. But but Doctor Who was on BBC. Dummy was on one of the uh, the you know ITV or something. Were There was what only BBC or something. There was only BBC One, BBC Two, and I think ITV didn't come out till late in the sixties. Someone will have to write in and let us know. Yeah, somebody will have to try and correct that one. But yeah, that, that's a lot of people watching. I mean, you know, I, yeah, you know, I mean, at the time in England, there's probably only what. How many what was million the, people were the date of it? What was it again? November 60, 
Mm. Oh, it, I know what it was because it was 13th of November to the 29th of January. So it would have, oh, it Christmas. could possibly be Christmas. And Christmas. Right. Where people have gone away or yeah, or might have been uh, New or, Year's or something yeah, like that. I don't know. I don't know what people did back then, but yeah, I don't think people went really anywhere. That would you make know. sense. Yeah, families came to visit. That was about it. You know. What are your thoughts on Stephen in this? Oh, he was woke. I liked him actually in this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's uh, definitely. He doesn't say anything about where he came from, his background, anything. He just is. In it for the trip. Yeah. Yeah. And Just dive straight in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it could have been just as easy to take Stephen back to Earth where he started off from or whatever planet he started off from before yeah. he got assigned to uh, Mechanus. And they released the book, the Target book as well, in 1989. The publication date, and that was released number 142. The working title was <laughs> Ready? Doctor Who and the Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bit of an understatement. <laughs> yeah. But get this, get this. <laughs> the book is called The Mutation of Time. Ooh, that's quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like that better because that fits with the uh, ultimate goal of getting the time destructor mm, going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that better. Yeah, you're right. Overall, it was really good. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I can listen to that again. You know. And when Terry Nation wrote the 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 scenes for the screenplay, yeah, for Vicky. He was describing her corpse as like having a Mona Lisa smile coming past the screen, <laughs> just floating past. Well, like the Cheshire Cat. So that's quite ch- chilling. <laughs> yeah, it was filmed beneath a trampoline, the death scene. Oh, gosh. Why did the film it beneath the trampoline? The camera was focused towards right through the mesh. Oh, I see, right, okay. Uh, so that only the actor and the space background were painted on. That's how they did that scene. Yeah. Or Katarina. It's a funny thing, like no green screen, yeah. no matte paint, you know, nothing. Just basically like cardboard and <laughs> canvas. Like, you know. Wibbly wobbly sets. And wibbly wobbly <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. So what about ratings, guys? 10 out of 10 for me, completely. I absolutely loved it. I loved the three episodes that I saw. I I was just transfixed. I was like, what? So I I would say 10 out of 10 for me. Yeah, 10 out of 10 because it was like William Harner was the most Shakespearean, as I said. Yeah. And uh, I just thought it, it, it did captivate you. Like, you know, I just wish it wasn't like in... It was sort of like in reverse order, you know, but because it was so, the BBC, the BBC tried to get rid of all that stuff. Or they just, what were erasing things? Uh, Why? They, they didn't have videos. They didn't, they didn't think yeah. it would be recorded or, uh, you know, that technology there was somebody, around. somebody with some foresight must have thought this is going to be iconic and it's going to be, you know, around yeah. for a long time. <laughs> Definitely uh, a 10. 
Yeah. So no. How about you, Ramona? I watched the uh, Loose Cannon reconstruction, so I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. Hey. Now we're going to move on to a completely missing story of the massacre. <laughs> this was four episodes, 5th of, 5th of the 26th of February, 1966. This is the one historical story where the audience are not that they don't know what's happening too much in advance, basically. So it's Paris in 1572. If that, if that's any help. Yeah. We'll cut to the trailer and we'll be right back. This is the plot synopsis for the massacre, also known as the massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve. This aired on the 5th to the 26th of February, 1966. The arrival of the TARDIS in Paris, France in 1572 places its occupants, the First Doctor and Stephen, in a dangerous situation. Tensions between the Protestant Huguenots and the Catholics are at fever pitch in the city. Despite the danger, the Doctor heads off alone to visit the apotheosy Charles Preslin. Stephen enters a tavern and meets Nicholas Moss, a Huguenot. When the doctor does not return as arranged, Stephen decides to spend the night at the home of his new friend. While Stephen and Nicholas are wandering home, they find a frightened serving girl, Anne Chaplet. Anne is terrified because she has overheard some Catholic guards speaking of coming religious massacre of Hugnuts here in Paris. To protect her and her knowledge, Nicholas arranges for Anne to go into service of his master, Admiral Jaspaul de Cournot. The next day, the abbot of Amboise arrives at his Parisian residence, convinced that Anne has discovered the threat to the Protestants. The abbot sends his secretary, Colbert, to find her. Stephen sees the two talking and becomes convinced that the abbot is the doctor in disguise. He tries to track down Preslin, the apothecary the doctor went to meet, but learns he was arrested two years ago for heresy. He lands to the abbot's house to wait for the doctor. While hiding, he overhears Colbert and an assassin plotting to kill someone they call the Sea Beggar tomorrow. As night falls, Stephen heads out and finds Anne following him. They hide for the night at President's empty shop, planning to search for the identity of the Sea Beggar. They call upon the abbot, but are forced to flee after Stephen realizes that the abbot is not the doctor. Anne and Stephen meet back at President's shop after the abbot is killed, and later the doctor himself arrives. After Anne tells the doctor what day it is, he is very insistent that he and Stephen must depart the city as soon as possible. He sends Anne to her aunt's house, warning her that she must stay there. Stephen and the doctor then head across the city. They reach the TARDIS just as the curfew is falling and depart as the massacre begins. Stephen is worried for Anne and his friends and is angry that the doctor made him leave. The doctor insists that history cannot be changed. Stephen cannot accept that the doctor left Anne behind and is so disgusted with his colleague that he is determined to leave him. When the TARDIS lands in 1966 on Wimbledon Common, Stephen offers a terse goodbye and ventures outside. The doctor is left totally alone for the first time and reflects on the other companions that have traveled with him and then left him, and his inability to return home. A young girl mistakes the TARDIS for a police box and enters to report a road accident. Stephen comes in too, saying that the policemen are approaching, and his heart softens when the young woman introduces herself as Dorothea or Dodo Chaplet. 
The doctor, hearing Stephen's warning of the approaching policeman, hurriedly dematerializes the TARDIS, not noticing until after it has left, 1966, that Dodo is still on board. Stephen informs her that there's no way back, and we could land anywhere, but Dodo seems either unworried or simply not to believe him. She says she is an orphan who lives with her great-aunt, and thus has few ties, as the TARDIS continues to hum, hurling them towards the next great adventure. And that was the plot synopsis for The Massacre, which aired 5th to the 26th of February, 1966. So back to the show. Welcome back to the Literary License Podcast. Tonight we are doing a triple bill. This next segment is The Massacre, which is a missing story episode. There are some animations online on Daily Motion if anyone wants to check them out. Yeah. I recommend the uh, Loose Cannon Reconstruction. That's right. Opening thoughts, guys. I have no idea where Dodo comes into it. Is she in France or is she modern day companion? That's where I got confused when I was reading up on her. Can anyone please tell me? (laughs) Dodo was supposed to be what what Susan was originally intended to be like. Mm -hmm. Um, And it comes out very mixed, like a mixed reaction. But do we know, is is she back in time? Is she present? How does she arrive? I know she got, when I read, she mistakes it for, um, this is the thing, she mistakes it for a police box, but I don't know where. She, it's like, I'm confused with her um, arrival. (laughs) Dodo is a present day companion, present day meaning to her timeline as far as Doctor Who goes. Mm. So she is a present-day companion. Thank you very much, Ramona, for giving me the heads up on that one. Did she she stole away on the TARDIS? She just walked in. Oh, Tegan all over again, isn't it, really? Dodo (laughs) Chaplet. (laughs) Or Dorothea Chaplet. Stephen Stephen got in a bad mood with the Doctor because he was angry that Doctor hadn't acted to save Anne Chaplet from the butchery of 1572. And then they compared last names. Yeah. Or Jojo, Dorothy, Chaplet, and uh, Katerina Chaplet could have been distant relatives, the way they compared names. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Nice one. The plot thickened. (laughs) (laughs) it's um um, i would love to i mean i I want to read the story like the target novel to be fair to be paris in the 16th century Mm. loose cannon reconstruction and it starts out with the doctor uh, going to an apothecary to visit with a Charles, friend. Charles Preslin. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then for a while, we don't see the doctor. We just see Stephen trying to avoid curfew and get in touch with the doctor. And 
Stephen is basically running the story. Mm-hmm. And in between that, there's a lot of shenanigans going on, including some religious material and what may be considered the uh, cornerstone for the troubles with a marriage and the queen. And Stephen joins the Huguenots. And then there's some fracas there between when he beat me, when he bumps into the serving girl named Anne Chaplet. Yeah. Uh, was, um, but then the twist is that when, when the abbot is revealed, it actually is the doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm. Was this pre? And then the, Stephen is then involved in a Huguenots twist to try and attempt to thwart the conspiracy and, you know, staying at the house of the influential Admiral de Colling, Colling, Collingny, Collingny. Right. I can't pronounce the name. Sorry. He describes the doctor describes himself as a as a doctor of science as well. Yeah. Almost like an alchemist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Physician, heal thyself. <laughs> it was, wasn't it, Doctor D? Doctor D. I mean, it must have. They must have sort of. Uh, uh, took all these characters like Paracelsus, Doctor D. You know, th- these were like Francis Bacon. You know, I know that's later. Like you know, but um, these people were like totally into alchemy. You know, because alchemy was like the marriage of mm. science and mm. good magic. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess that's an, that basically that's what the TARDIS is. You know, because <laughs> the TARDIS's Saint John Ambulance sign was back on the door again. Yeah, this one that. Yeah, like the Rosicrucian um, cross. And also the TARDIS contained bags of ECUS, the currency for the period as well, which was interesting. Mm. But And the wardrobe had a lot of clothes available for Stephen to try on as well. Yeah. In this one. Mm. Good for Stephen. <laughs> Top shop in a TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> Top shop. <laughs> Tardis. <laughs> well, again, the master of the ratings. I, I've got the ratings. We got episode right. one, eight point zero million. Episode two, six point zero million. Episode three, five point nine million. And episode four, five point eight million. It's quite a drop from the last one, isn't it? I know. I know why. Because what, what month was it? Ed? The Basically, ITV had found a hit show called Thank Your Lucky Stars. Oh, right. And they, and they put, positioned it against Doctor Who nationally. <clears throat> okay. When I was watching the uh, reconstruction in the uh, final episode, uh, was a, a small bit of a slideshow of uh, pictures depicting the massacre. And if Mary Whitehouse had been around, she would have nixed those real quick. <laughs> yeah. I'm quite shocked myself. Wow. Because it was in the working title was The Massacre of Bart St. Bartholomew's Eve. Yeah. Oh, they really picked some um, interesting periods, you know, and kind of sort of like dramatize them. uh, And the CD release actually has the working title instead of The Massacre. Yeah. As well. For some reason. Craig was telling me that the the new uh, doctor's going to see. The Beatles. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, come well. Definitely looking forward to that one. <laughs> Jumping I'm ahead. Just loving, I'm just loving you one. It was so amazing. It was just <laughs> like, brilliant. Couldn't have put the last all together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It's amazing. So what, what, how many, is it 67 years or 65 years? It's interesting. 65. Sorry, Daniel. Sorry, how long is it? 65 years now. 60. 60, sorry, okay, right. Just, yeah. Okay. It's interesting what you said, Ramona, because the the researchers at the British Museum, they un, uncut un, some of the, the woodcuts from the massacre to use the, with the slaughter of fake blood and limbs. And it did prove too gory for some viewers as well. Wow. So, Do you think they actually did, did like a, a studio test pilot first and tried it out on people? If they, knew, if they knew it was going to be quite controversial or a gory scene, you know? Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. You know? Yeah. Because, I mean, when you think, like, I mean, the main, the main audience was kids, you know? For here, for Amer the Americans, uh, yeah. they might not have had much background in the troubles in that time period, so it would have been tough. For American audiences, Bob yeah, Hawk. Got you, yeah. But what was this pre-revolution or post-French Revolution? I can't really can't think. Of it. What would you guys rate this one then? Mm, a six. For me, I think a six. Because I couldn't really, you can't see it to judge it. You can only just sort of listen again, listen to the soundtrack. So, yeah, yeah six for me. The uh, reconstruction, uh, loose cannon reconstruction gets nine. How about yourself, David? Yeah, I think I'll go Ramona, a nine. Yeah, I liked it as well. I'd, I'd give it a nine. Okay. We're now going to move on to. Well, my story. <laughs> the arc. <laughs> the arc. We'll cut to the trailer and be right back. This is the plot synopsis for Doctor Who, The Ark, which aired from the 5th to the 26th of March, 1966. At least 10 million years in the future, the TARDIS materializes on a vast spacecraft with its own miniature zoo and apatorium. The first Doctor and Steven are explaining the basics of their time travel ability to their new companion, Dodo Chaplet, when she starts to show signs of a cold. The three are taken to the control chamber of the vessel by the mute single-eyed monoids. The monoids live in a peace alongside the humans to command the spaceship. Their own planet haven't been destroyed, but they do often do much of the menial work. The humans explain that the Earth is about to be destroyed because of the expansion of the sun and that the ship is an ark sent into space with the last remnants of humanity, civilization, and various flora and fauna. The human guardians in charge of the craft run a tight ship. A failure to conform to their rules means either death or miniaturization until they reach their destination. And there's like planet called Refugius 2, which takes nearly 700 years to get to. As an amusement during the journey, a vast statue is being carved by hand, depreciating a human being. 
Dodal's cold spreads across the Mononoids and human populations, who have little natural immunity. When the commander of the Ark collapses with the malady, Ventos, the deputy commander, assumes that the travelers have deliberately infected the ship and places the whole ship on alert. After a trial, during which Stephen collapses with the fever, Zentel orders the execution of the Doctor, Stephen, and Dodo, but the alien commander intervenes to protect them and permits them across to the medical equipment to devise a cure. The Doctor recreates the cold vaccine from the membranes of animals on the craft, and this is administered to the crew. The commander, Stephen, and the others who have been infected are soon on the road to recovery. Their work done, the trio observe the end of Earth, on the long rain scanner before the doctor leads them back to the TARDIS. The TARDIS rematerializes back on the Ark, but 700 years later, they learn that after a second wave of cold virus introduced a genetic weaknesses into the humans, the monoloids seized the coop and took control. They have completed the statue in the image of themselves, and now have voice communicators and use numerical emblems to dis- distinguish each other. Their surviving humans are now the Monoid slaves, and the doctor and his friends are sent to the kitchen to help to prepare meals for the Monoids. Two humans, Venusa and Dusak, believe that the moment of their liberation is at hand. Stephen tries to help them revolt, which is unsuccessful. The arrival of Rufius is close at hand and landing pod is prepared. Monoid 1 wants to make sure that the new world is inhabited only by Monoids. Despite promises that the human population will be allowed to live there too, a landing party is investigate. A stately castle, which seems to be empty, is in fact occupied the refugians, giant beings rendered invisible by solar flares. Having anticipated the arrival of the Ark, they built the castle to accommodate the colonists. They welcome their guests, but want to share the planet only with other peaceful beings. Mononoid 2 and Zendim flee the castle and en route Zendim realizes that the humans will not be allowed to reach Rufius with the Mononoids. Mononoid 2 kills him and shortly afterwards is killed himself from the Rufians' the lander. Mononoid 1 decides to colonize Rufius without more checks on the planet, but once they land and discover the destroyed landing pod, other, more cautious Mononoids revolt, sparking a civil war. The Doctor, Dodo, and the Ruffians use the confusion to steal one of the launchers and send the Ruffians back to the Ark. The Monoids have placed the bomb on board the ship and plan to evacuate soon to the planet, leaving the humans to die. Word of his threat spreads and spurs a human rebellion. They discover that the bomb is in place in the head of the statue, which the Ruffians help to dispose of into space before the bomb explodes. The humans now begin to land on Rufius themselves, having been offered support by the Rufians on the condition that they live peacefully with the remaining Monoids. Shortly after the TARDIS departs, the Doctor becomes invisible in the TARDIS control room. And that was the plot synopsis of The Ark from Doctor Who, so now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Literary Licence Podcast. Tonight we are reviewing <laughs> the serial six, four episodes of The Ark which was the 5th to the 26th of March, 1966. Yeah. So this is the one where there's, you've got the one-eyed Cyclops. <laughs> Monoid. Monoid. You've got elephants. Oh, yes. Aging jungle. Invisible, <laughs> invisible Whips nade. Whips in space. <laughs> yeah. And the Earth falls into the sun without any Britney Spears. Right. So it's Doctor Who at the Sky. <laughs> 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 it's the greatest show on Earth. Welcome, Doctor. 
to the circus of life. <laughs> I absolutely love this episode. <laughs> the the I can't pronounce them. Is it the monoids? Monoids. Oh, when there was that transition where they became the masters, <laughs> I just thought that was just genius, and and I love their weapons. Oh yeah, and the noise, the sound effect of the gun blast, mm. and the, the stuff that comes. Yeah, it was, it was pure brilliance. I really, really enjoyed Inspired. it. Inspired. Yeah, it was quite for you. <laughs> Remember when I mentioned foreshadowing back in the uh, Dalek Master Plan about uh, yeah. breathing pure air? Yeah. And now Dodo has a cold, and <laughs> that cold is very prominent in this episode. Mm. Very mm. catchy. It, <laughs> yeah. It's the rogue element. <laughs> Well, I love Dodo in this one because she literally just walks off without even knowing what was outside the TARDIS. <laughs> this was the first I'm just going out there. I know it's Earth. I know it's Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping you know. <laughs> it's whipsnades. <laughs> this was the first appearance of Michael Sheard. Mm-hmm. His first appearance. And the first story to have a female writer credited. Even if she didn't know what she did with the story. But he, Michael Shid, he came back five more times over the next 22 years. So someone must have really liked him in Doctor Who. (laughs) So Terry Nation was on uh, holiday at the time, was he? (laughs) Which, sorry, just going up there. What episode did Douglas Adams write? Tom Baker's. Oh, right. Okay, right, yeah. right. They were great. Actually, yeah, in the 80s. Yeah. Very good ones. Tell them a bit more quirky. This is also the debut of Roy Skelton, who everyone knows as he plays the Dalek Emperor K9 briefly and the original Cyberman. Uh-huh. And he basically is a Dalek up to 1999's Curse of Fatal Death. And you're right about Michael Shedd because he was in Mind of Evil, Pyramids of Mars, Invisible Enemy. Cash for Valor and Remembrance of the Daleks. Wow. There's lots of monoids, aren't there, in this one? There's quite a lot of style haircut. (laughs) (laughs) One eyed man will be king in the world of the blind. You're right about Dodo's cold, Ramona, because it spreads among the monoid and the human populations as well. We have little natural immunity. Oh. And it's an ingenious cure from a, from a uh, unusual source. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've just got off the truck there. <laughs> I did like the uh, representation of the refusions who knew that the uh, colonists were coming mm. and basically baked them a cake. Uh, <laughs> The refusions yeah. provided housing and nice accommodations and stuff. And the monoids uh, basically started ripping things apart. What did say? Show your shells! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, the refusions being invisible. Yeah. Beautiful mm. plot twist on that. Yeah. Hold on, they were invisible landlords. Yeah. Okay. Can wow. We- 
<laughs> but like most landlords, <laughs> they seem to turn invisible when uh, you, they've just taken your money. When there was like <laughs> in in-house civil war, I yeah. really like that was probably my favorite episode, the finale episode, mm-hmm. when they just turned on each other. I thought Doctor Who doesn't have to have to do much now because they're basically just doing his job for them, <laughs> yeah. and he's a non-violence pacifist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> taking a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was a holiday at the time well, yeah, the, was, mono- yeah. the monoids are one-eyed bipeds yeah mm. the other ones are invisible landlords yeah <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> we forgot to have a description for them maybe they're like the Spiridons for a, a future episode maybe they're just running around stalkers <laughs> and yeah it, it, the, when the tardis comes back 700 years later there is they have chest mounted speech boxes right. enabling them to speak i thought that was cool that's that's quite far ahead in it and it's revealed that dodo's cold did yeah. suck the human's will which meant it was easier for the monos to overthrow the masters what ramona was saying earlier mm. oh my gosh yeah that's cool that is so cool because a, a later a later mutation of a cold made the creatures now more ambitious, aggressive, and intolerant. Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now we know where the common cold. <laughs> Blame Dodo. <laughs> yeah. Well, people, I had the ratings on this oh. one. Episode one, five point five million. Episode two, six point nine million. Episode three, six point two million. And episode four, seven point three million. Wow, people were well. Watching I guess the competition movie. didn't hold up much. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't say anything about what it was against wind at the time. Yeah. yeah. The Radio Times called it the space arc for some reason. The space arc. Yeah, at the time. <laughs> and I've got that SFX said, surprisingly, top-notch <laughs> values, aside from the monoids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like the cliffhanger for the celestial toy room as well. Oh, yeah. wicked, yes. I might postpone the next podcast until... Because it will be the Celestial Toy Maker, so I want to wait until the Blu-ray is released, <laughs> maybe. So yeah, yeah, definitely March release, so that we can watch it and enjoy it. And Absolutely, and talk about it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Keep an o- keep an open mind on the animation for the yeah. release of Toy Maker. It looks like they've done something dodgy, very dodgy. Yeah, I don't like it. It's strange. <laughs> Oh, sorry. David's picked up Dodo. I think I've got the, yeah, I've got the call from the TARDIS. Dodo. Doo doo. Doo doo doo. Doo doo voodoo. Doo doo Cool voodoo. Doo doo doo. Doo So, guys, if you any any last thoughts about it? Any standout? Enjoyed it. It was good. I really enjoyed it. 
I was happy to see that Dodo found the wardrobe, and now we can blame the doctor for uh, her outfit. <laughs> the cap, the ovals, the dungarees. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a nine. Okay. Yeah, I, I'll give it a nine as well. I liked it. Yeah. We'll nine. Yeah, nine lemmasips. <laughs> and um, have you guys got any social medias that you'd like to plug? Just check out my Instagrams, really. My Marios Writes, it's all the same. Books and lattes. My blog, my blogs are going out Wednesdays and Fridays. Review well after this tomorrow. I'll be reviewed the Spectra of Lanny and Moore from Big Finish Productions tomorrow, and I've got a review of Dark Season coming out on Friday. As I've well. done a I've done a podcast on that. Mm. Oh, what well, um Big Finish um Spectra with a a rival. How podcast you? thing on YouTube that we we might won't mention. <laughs> we all joined it and then got deleted by the owner. Um, <laughs> it's uh yeah. Oh boy, but um, specials of big finish as well down the line if we can. <laughs> but watch this space, guys, for a dark season special that's in the works. Um, <laughs> Not wait. <laughs> nothing in the world can stop me now <laughs> <laughs> and check out our we've got a doctor who facebook group it's called the whovians podcast yes it's free to join so check us out there's lots of updates and doctor who news on there regular published regularly and if you want to see any of my artwork go to my etsy site craig's world or check out my instagram craig's world too and you can see David on YouTube as Acid Monk, Acid Monk. with his acoustics. Oh, and yeah. his Instagram is David Joe. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> so thanks, guys, for watching. It's goodbye from me, Craig Johnson, and East Finchley. It's, it's goodbye good. from me, from North Finchley, Marius. <laughs> it's goodbye from me. I've forgotten who I am, but that's okay. <laughs> and it's goodbye for me. From <laughs> Thanks for watching, guys, and I'll see you all next <laughs> next next month. Bye
positive vacation. 